coming up. Readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland-approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb stormlight. Hone sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, Soul Splitters? This is Steven, Nathan, and Dan with the Harry Potter episode. We're covering Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Books are getting close to the end here. So, guys, are we pumped or what? Book six, right? Yeah, I feel way lucky to be on here. It's like I had a Felix Felices potion or something. Yeah, these uh, these reviews would be nothing without Dan's wizarding dad jokes. <laughs> Steven, I do have a question. That I haven't had a chance to ask for a few weeks. What does reading by reading beyond the Raffo mean? I'm referring to your intro for each of the podcasts. Yeah, so do you know what Raffo means? No, that would be my question, I guess. So Raffo is an acronym. All right. R-A-F-O. Reading R-A-F-O. is R is the R reading. R is just read. Read after. Read and read and figure it out. Close. Read and find out read and find out so when someone asks you a question that's kind of it would be better if they discovered the answer on their own you say raffo yeah you would say raffo usually it's more like an author saying raffo i think robert jordan actually came up with this term and it was uh. when people would ask him like give a theory or ask like oh what does this mean because there's a lot of prophecies in the wheel of time he would say raffo and then now a lot of authors do this as well sanderson does it quite a bit because people have a gazillion theories about those types of books. Oh, got it. In my preparation for the Half-Blood Prince discussion, I was hopping back in the time machine, and some people were talking about how J.K. Rowling was revealing a few choice things before this book. Like, she revealed some things about Scrimgeour or something else. I guess that was that, pretty big news at the time, for sure. Sparked a lot of speculation. Little tidbits back in like 2004 that people were talking about showing up on like AOL Instant Messengers. Yeah, I think so. Did I I date myself? Is that the correct dating for AOL Instant Messaging? It's in the range. Something like that. All right. So we're going to switch up our format a little bit this time. In the past, we have, yeah, very exciting. In the past, we've just talked through the plot and it's been me kind of like droning on about what happens next, et cetera, et cetera boring right we don't want to do that anymore so instead we're going to a slight disagree steven you know, you always do a good job of summarizing yeah i mean i think so too but you know we're, we're trying to switch up so instead of doing that we're going to talk about characters so our discussion is going to be very character based i'm going to give you guys a character and we all have a bunch of thoughts and notes written down and so we are going to go through the characters we can talk about any events really in any order we'll just kind of jump around and then by the end of all the characters I think we'll also have discussed all of the big events and then we can do our top three and bottom three characters and then it'll be a wrap. Yeah, you're probably right. I think, well, because every every key event in the book, of course, involves a main character. So if we discuss all the characters, then we should be hopping through the plot pretty efficiently as well. I like exactly. it. Exactly. 
And before we get started, shout out to our recent patron, Patreon member that just joined, B and Dae. So thank you for your support. And we appreciate having you as a patron. And if you want to support Phantology, you can find us online at www.phantologybooks.com. It's got our full catalog. We've got things like Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson, Jim Butcher, Dresden Files. We just finished reading that series. So if you're a fan of that, if you like anything from like Joe Abercrombie to Harry Potter to what Golden Compass, Philip Pullman, I mean, all, all, all kinds of stuff. So go and check us out there. Give us a listen. I know that you guys, I mean, Dan, you've read Red Rising. We've covered that. Nathan, anything that you're like looking to read pretty soon? Um, I'm I'm still making my way through uh, Words of Radiance. Okay, getting ready for like the 12. the big release. Yeah, chapter. Yeah, there's over a hundred chapters. So yeah, keep I'm going. still going through. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, check us out. And then if you also want to support the channel, you can do that at Patreon.com/slash/Phantology_underscore/books. And there are some exclusive tiers, etc. And join our Discord and talk with us more. We just recently upgraded our discord to what i'm calling phantology 2.0 so you can go in and choose whatever series you like and then channels will magically appear and people will talk to you about those things yeah so i like get started? that feature yeah I was, I was on discord there were a few of the channels that i did not feel very connected to seeing as how i hadn't read those particular series so i was able to block those out right and focus right. on the stuff that was more relevant to me so good upgrade phantology. yeah and once you finish once you finish a series you can go in and add that channel too it's very it's very nice very very the whole advanced. world opened up to you with insights of the book you just finished perfect absolutely unlock all right so i want to start by talking about dumbledore dumbledore right our man albus he was huge in this book to take a trumpism he i think he was like this was the book for dumbledore right like we'd bagged on dumbledore quite a bit in previous books like oh dumbledore's not doing anything he should be leading the charge he's so hands off but Dumbledore finally picks up here, right? Am I Wait, crazy? Is, Do you guys agree? Is he not still a little bit too hands-off in this? I mean, to an extent, but he really brings Harry in. So I have been known to really like dislike Dumbledore throughout the series. Yeah, Dumbledore and Ron. Dumbledore you know, and Ron, you don't yeah. Like either of those characters. But throughout this book, um, just rereading it, I really like Dumbledore's character throughout this book. Just the different stuff he does. He takes Harry in. I mean, now I think it's the perfect time for him to teach Harry about the Horcruxes and tell him how he can defeat Voldemort, bring him in, teach him some I lessons. I mean, it's kind of now or never, right? Yeah. Like, he knows he's dying. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, if it's if he doesn't do this, then Harry's kind of... He, Harry's not going to figure anything out, really. I mean, he has Hermione, but Hermione doesn't know a whole lot. I mean, it may take—it would just take him longer than usual. I guess that's a slight spoiler for uh, book seven, but I'm guessing you've probably read the books by this point because yeah, it, you don't know in the sixth book what the withered hand actually means. It's going to be huge hard once you get that. At least for me, when I'm analyzing characters in this book, it's going to be hard to avoid spoilers for book seven. All right, we're doing spoilers for book seven. Okay, yeah. Let's, so if, if let's for that. some reason, we're getting that out there. If for some reason you haven't read Deathly Hollows, we're going to talk about the ending of the book. But 
I'm at like clear your mind for a second, obliviate your mind or whatever, pretend you don't have any knowledge of book seven, freeze time at the end of book six. So you know that Harry, first of all, the locket that he discovered is the fake locket. So how many Horcruxes does he still have left to find? Five? So there's seven, seven total. total. Yes, yeah, so and he's already five. taken out the diary. He's the taken diary out the and diary the and the ring are gone. So, so there's five. five left. Do you count the locket or no? No, no you don't count the locket because they haven't discovered it. Yeah, you don't know who RAB okay. is or anything. So yeah, yeah. the odds are seemingly pretty insurmountable. Like if I didn't know anything else in book seven, I would have thought that there would still be clues that Dumbledore had left um, that are yet to be revealed in book seven. And granted, Dumbledore did leave a little bit of trails. Um, through his accomplice, which I won't talk about, even though he said we're just gonna we would spoil book seven. So I am a little bit aggravated that Dumbledore didn't leave more behind. I don't know. Like more about the hollows? Um I, I'm just saying that at the point of time, at the end of book six, it seems like everything has to break exactly perfectly right for Harry to be able to accomplish the seemingly insurmountable task of defeating lord voldemort and all of his horcruxes yeah yeah especially when you look at how hard it was to get into the cave like one cool thing that i thought about dumbledore was it revealed how good and advanced his magic was like we start getting exposed to the nonverbal spells which are very hard for even advanced wizards and dumbledore is obviously a master of all of that jazz and he kind of feels the walls of the cave thinks to himself for a little bit and then discovers where the opening is and he figures out how to get across the water and all that cool stuff, Mm -hmm. which obviously increases his credibility quite a bit, like makes you understand why he's so revered. Yeah, he goes full on Gandalf towards the end of this. I mean, if we're going like spoilers for book seven, my biggest takeaway is why didn't he give Harry the sword of Gryffindor before he died? If he knew like what he was capable of, why didn't he give it to Harry or mm. put it somewhere where Harry could find it so that way they could have it a whole lot sooner than when they did. Yeah, that that seems, I don't know. There could be some reason for it. I'm sure you could come up with some plot armor for that, but it does, yeah, it, that does seem a little questionable. I'm with you there. But, I mean, overall, I really like Dumbledore in this book. I I liked how he took Harry under his wing at the very beginning and how he told him basically what he was trying to do with Slughorn instead of making a whole secret. Yeah, total total tone shift from book five, yeah. right? Where it's like, can't talk to Harry or even look at Harry. Now it's we're telling Harry everything. And granted, like he still, the big thing he doesn't tell him is anything about Snape. But yeah. I think there is a reason for that. Like, I, I don't think, Harry, Harry still couldn't know, right? Because Snape still had a, a very important role to play. And yeah. I think it was important for Harry not to understand everything that was going on there. But it's still a little maddening. One thing that helps me feel a little bit more comfortable about it is I'm wondering if Dumbledore was thinking that there was still a perfect link between Voldemort and Harry's mind that he couldn't reveal too much without also revealing it to Voldemort. But mm-hmm. Harry seems to master occlumency, or maybe not master, but that doesn't seem to be as much of a problem progressing through. And in fact... In the seventh book, Harry seems to see into Voldemort's mind more than vice versa. Well, I think part of that in book seven, without going too much into it, is that Voldemort is slowly dying as Harry 
goes in destroys these horcruxes that Voldemort's mind is breaking down a whole lot easier. Huh, does that make Voldemort less powerful to have a horcrux destroyed? I, I don't know. Yeah, I could see that. I haven't thought about that before, Nathan. I, I mean, I just feel like that. I mean, how would you feel if part of your soul that you have torn and put into something else dies and you don't have that your sure. soul? Sure. Kind of hard to imagine, but yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> we don't get it. I mean, it's not a super hard magic system where we understand like, okay, one seventh of his power is here. So if it's gone, what does that mean exactly? It's more just like a, a rendering of who he is almost, but I don't think his magical ability is decreased, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, unknown. But uh, going back to Dumbledore and specifically that cave scene, I think we get an insight to the vulnerability of Dumbledore for the first time. For the first five books, he's kind of just this character that's always in control at all times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you get a glimpse of something unsettling from his past for sure when he's crying out when he's in pain and it really exposes all that and leaves it all out there so that leaves you wanting to understand more about that part of Dumbledore's character which I liked which then you get in the seventh book in Deathly Hollows. yeah so that that is a good setup but I mean it did, then it does go on to like foreshadow in book seven of when they come back and Harry and her, her Dumbledore go back to Hogsmeade and like Dumbledore is specifically telling, like telling Carrie to find Snape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he wants. Snape yeah, he says Snape it's, can help it's him. Snape. Yeah, yeah. And Harry's like, I mean, throughout the whole series, Harry has no reason whatsoever. I mean, maybe to trust to Snape. trust Snape. Well, not even trust Snape, but Harry's always actively worked against Snape and considered him the enemy. like his ultimate enemy. Yeah. Yeah, and he feels pretty vindicated at the end of this book for, for sure. all of his conspiracy theory thoughts. So one question I had about Dumbledore and the whole memory thing and the Horcruxes and this stuff that Harry and Dumbledore were doing for most of this book, why did he need the memory from Slughorn so much to confirm the whole Horcrux theory? Because wasn't he already working on this as if it was true and he was tracking these Horcruxes down and he had the ring and he knew the diary was destroyed. Like, did he really need this memory where where Slughorn actually said the word Horcrux and explain like that just seems so weak to me? Well, we do know that Dumbledore had knowledge of the Horcruxes because it said um, Tom Riddle said that or where, where was it that it said that Dumbledore had banned the talk of Horcruxes at Hogwarts? Or am I imagining that? I don't think it was banned. But obviously he knew something about it. Yeah. He knew about it, and he he had the half the memory where Riddle asked Slughorn, what's a yeah. Horcrux? Yes. And then he was tracking them. Why did he need the memory of Slughorn's is, response? I, I think the big thing is the number. The number seven. When Riddle was saying, what if someone was to split into seven pieces? Yeah, I think that's the big thing. Because okay. then they knew okay. how many they were looking for. Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah. Then again, Harry was, I mean, spoilers for Eric Seven. Harry was the Horcrux that Voldemort never made. I mean, he never intended to make, right? And so yeah. if Harry's Seven, then was Voldemort really going to make another Horcrux at that point? Let's talk about that in the seventh book. We'll, we'll shelf mm -hmm. that for now. Nice. But I think that that's a good response. I mean... I was trying to point out a plot hole and you shut me down with saying That's that right. it was the seven. I got your back, JK. Yeah, so I'm on I'm on board with that. 
Anything more about Dumbledore? Like, I mean, he dies at the end, right? That That's a thing. Yeah. Well, should we talk about, because I doubt we're, we're going to talk about the Gaunts and the just the memories in general, because we're not going to talk about those characters, are we? So we can talk I about in the context to, of Dumbledore. I wanted to talk about Voldemort specifically. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about Voldemort. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's get to that when we get to when we get to Valdi. So let's talk about Dumbledore dying. So Dumbledore, 100% commitment to the cause, sacrifices himself for Harry, for this whole thing that he's been trying to do for, I mean, most of his older wizarding wife, you know, shutting down Voldemort. Really admirable. And even at the end, when he knows he's going to die, he's trying to talk Draco out of it. And he knows that Snape is going, like, he knows at this point, he's fully committed. I mean, part of it is because he knows he's going to die from the hand curse anyway. But I think it's really admirable. And this is really where, you know, this is a gut punch when, when Dumbledore does finally die. Yeah, it's, it's tough definitely to a sad, one of the sadder moments in the book when Dumbledore dies. What was worse, Dumbledore or Sirius? For me, Sirius. I thought Dumbledore was worse. Oh, did you say Sirius? Nathan? Yeah, 100% Sirius. Well, you know that Dumbledore was worse because they gave you like an entire chapter of the funeral procession and all of that to really get some closure on it. Yeah. So you know that in J.K. Rowling's mind, Dumbledore's death I, is way I, I more just devastating. Feel like Dumbledore got more like that because he was headmaster of Hogwarts. There are a lot more people around him and everything. I mean, Sirius yeah, Dumbledore's had like touched a lot more people. people. Whereas Sirius was like a convicted killer. Yeah, and so he had no one to go to his funeral. And I, I just feel like Sirius is a lot more thinking it as like Harry's perspective. I would go with Sirius because he's like his only family that he's had left. But I feel like Dumbledore was getting closer to filling that void. Like even as cool as Sirius was, Sirius and Harry never had a cool bonding moment like Harry and Dumbledore did when they retrieved the fake locket. Oh, yeah. Like they were just getting started. The Harry and Dumbledore crew off to destroy all the Horcruxes. If only Dumbledore was lucid, that would have been such a great moment for them. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, Sirius, Sirius ha- offered that moment to live with Harry and yeah, live off in the countryside. In the third, at the end of the third, sure. Yeah, that was touching. Sirius, look, I mean, he wasn't a great role model for well, Harry. No. He was still kind of a punk, still a bit of a rebel. Dumbledore, I think, is worse. Dumbledore touched a lot more lives, and he deserved the big funeral. And, and while Sirius was sad, sure, for Harry... And if for a reader, I mean, we're all kind of fans of Sirius. Dumbledore's the better character. He's the better wizard. And you've been fed all this propaganda throughout all the books like, oh, everyone's safe as long as Dumbledore's around. Or maybe not even around, but as long as he's in, in the vicinity there, or in the same safe. country, yeah. then you're safe at Hogwarts. And now the rug is totally pulled out from underneath that. And you have no idea what to what's coming up in the future. Yeah, that's true. Not even Not even propaganda. I mean, look to the end of Order of the Phoenix when Dumbledore comes in and saves the day. Yeah, and he takes on Voldemort. Yeah, I guess that's true. I just like Sirius more as a character. You like the bad boy a little more? Well, Billy, Billy Eilish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sirius is like the cool uh, drummer, and maybe Dumbledore's the the lead singer. Actually, no, that doesn't. No, work. no. Forget about that. <laughs> Dumbledore's the like player? <laughs> like the old like manager of the band or something. You could say that. But not a lead singer. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how far this analogy goes. <laughs> but uh, but anything else on Dumbledore before we go? I want to talk about Harry next. Yeah, I don't. Okay, have we're getting the big guns out of the way early. Okay. 
let's transition in this way. So I thought one of the more one of the more transitional moments was when Dumbledore says, Harry, I need you to get this memory from Slughorn and I need you to do it. And he trusts Harry to do it. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was huge because previously Dumbledore has like never really shown any actual trust in Harry. He's just kind of said like, oh, good job, Harry, at the end of the year. Or no, Harry, I'm not going to tell you what's going on. But in this case, he's saying like, Harry, I have a mission for you. Mm-hmm. And then Harry doesn't really do it. And, and Dumbledore's like, I'm really pretty disappointed in you, Harry. Which, of course, he procrastinates. Yeah. A yeah. Goblet <laughs> of Fire clues or yeah. other parts of the yeah. books. Exactly. Because of his obsession with Malfoy. But I thought that was a big moment for Harry and Dumbledore. So now let's talk about Harry's character in that he is getting this larger role with Dumbledore. I mean, he's probably feeling pretty good about this these private classes and everything that he's getting. Yeah, I like how he kind of puts some of the more minor aspects of his life to the side. Like you can tell that he knows where his focus needs to be. And even when he's focusing on Draco and battling the Death Eaters when everyone's telling him that it's stupid, um, which actually ends up, he ends up being the one that's right at the end, which is new in this situation. But I like how he doesn't think about Quidditch as much, for example. Like probably if you would have handed him the reins as Quidditch captain in in an earlier book. Uh Uh-huh. He would have been way more stressed about that, but he kind of just does his baseline duties and not much further. Even the romance at the end, the budding romance, he's able to uh, postpone that and tell Ginny that it's got to be on hold. But his whole focus is uncovering the past and the lessons with Dumbledore. He's not even as focused on school. Like you hardly hear about school with Harry in this book. Okay, so a lot out of that comment and that was a lot of good stuff there. Um, let's start with the Quidditch thing and, and maybe the Draco thing as well. So after coming out of book five, where he got completely played at the end by Voldemort with the whole serious trick, I can't believe that he is so he gets so enamored with yet another thing that is like so similar with the Draco Malfoy as a Death Eater type of thing. You know, you, you think that like maybe he would have been talked out of it a little more or, or thought back to man like I got totally fooled by Sirius maybe I should not go all in on this but Harry is just all in on everything he does I mean that's his character so I thought this was really interesting and like you say he was actually right but he wasn't able to actually do anything about it either yeah I just feel like Harry at this stage in his life like he has fought Voldemort like four or five times and he's not he's ready for to go on and that's why like i feel like that's why quidditch and everything else isn't as big as in his life because he knows there's something more than just school right he knows he's put his name in for the draft he, he's he's ready to get out of the amateurs yeah he knows he like he knows that he has to fight voldemort it's going to come down to that he's been reading that daily prophet chosen one stuff yeah. all summer <laughs> It's it's getting to I mean I feel like it's getting to his head where he's like consumed by it because he he doesn't have anything else right like he lost Sirius that was a big thing for him and now he has to prove himself that he can actually do something. I feel like he handles it pretty well though. I mean, book five was all about Harry Potter and the teenage mood swings, but book six he's much more grounded. Oh, he's, he's had all this stuff happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't get sucked forward. into the he doesn't get sucked into the fame at all. Even he stays really humble throughout the book. But Stephen, you're saying that if you were Harry, you would have been a little suspicious that all of this Malfoy stuff was 
like a trap by set by Voldemort. Is that what you're saying? Yes. I mean, something I mean, I got totally played at the end of the fifth book. My godfather died. And at that time, it was a similar type of situation. Everyone's telling me like, Harry, uh, I don't know about this. You know, watch out. And then now all of a sudden I'm jumping into another one where I'm like Malfoy's the Death Eater. Eh. I, I don't know. I just I, I would doubt myself a little bit more. I would want more support from other people. If I was going to go all in for this, I would be like always looking for affirmation from someone else rather than ignoring all of all of their uh, skepticism. But it is it is pretty suspicious, I think, Malfoy's actions throughout the yeah. books. You definitely know there's something going like on. Like at the beginning of the book when they when they're in Diagon Alley, they go to the store and they see Malfoy, right? And they were following Malfoy. Like yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I feel like for Harry, like a sixteen year old, I mean, that's pretty suspicious. And I feel like But look, Harry, how much I of mean, that is because as the reader you read chapters one and two and you know that Malfoy is up to something because it's, it's explicitly told to us in those beginning chapters and Snape is going to watch You're talking over him. About, okay, yeah. When Snape yeah, and Mar- all, all Narcissa that. agree. So okay. we're reading the books. We're like, yeah, we know Malfoy's bad. Totally. That's no one true. else knows that. No yeah, one that's knows in the that. back of our minds the whole time. I think for Harry, he might feel a little bit more invested based on what happens on the train because he gets like totally owned by Malfoy he when he owned. tries to do, uh. use the invisibility cloak and Malfoy um, stuns him and and then he like stomps on his face too, right? Yeah, he breaks, he his, breaks nose. his nose and uh-huh. stomps on his face. So that's going to make uh-huh. Harry eager to to prove that Malfoy's evil. And Yeah, and, do you guys have any more thoughts on that moment? Because that was a big moment. I have a couple things on that. Yeah, I just feel like... I mean, it was pretty messed was up. very immature of Harry. <laughs> Again, just I just feel like Harry at this point, he wants to prove that he is the chosen one. Especially after book five, when he gets tricked by Voldemort, he wants to prove that he's ready and that he's changed from this 15-year-old to this 16-year-old. I think it's a super personal battle for Harry. And if he has an opportunity to jump in, get an advantage on Voldemort, try to thwart a plan, he's going all in for it. He's super impulsive. He always has been. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get the logistics of how it worked out on the train with the invisibility cloak because how big are the different cabins on the train or the different rooms on the train that he can fit in? And we know that Pansy's in there. We know Crab and Goyle and Malfoy. Like, obviously, if you have the invisibility cloak, you're invisible, but it doesn't mean that you don't occupy space. So how could Harry feel so confident yeah. um, invading that space and not thinking that somebody's going to bump into him accidentally or something. Yeah. That was stressing me I out. mean, I just think of it, it was a regular train. I don't know, maybe. It, up in the up in the luggage somewhere, yeah. Yeah, he, he definitely uh, rolled pretty well for dexterity if we're playing D&D, and he was able to clamber up into that compartment without anyone seeing. Compartment, that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, yeah the train uh, compartment. Okay, so on that on that moment, so I thought it was a big moment for two for two reasons. One, because it sets up Malfoy at Draco as being a very a pretty quality opponent, right? Like this isn't it, Draco's always been a fairly competent wizard. Like he's not a crab and goyle goon level. But you've always kind of like Harry's always got the upper hand on him. You know, Hermione has a nice moment where she punches him in the face in the third book. The 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 heroes have always been able to defeat Malfoy. And so you think, okay, yeah, Harry's suspicious of Malfoy, we're gonna defeat him again. But at the beginning of the book, Malfoy totally owns him, right? Kicks him in the face almost sets him back pretty far by leaving him on the train 
with the invisibility cloak over him. Like it's real, it's a, it's a bad moment for Harry. So it was good for that reason, because now the conflict has some stakes and Malfoy is someone we want to try to defeat. And it was also really good foreshadowing for the end when Harry is also under the invisibility cloak watching Malfoy and the whole Dumbledore showed up. Oh, I yeah, hadn't thought about I, those I didn't think about it like that. Yeah. But I do. I did think that it was really important for establishing Malfoy as a formidable opponent because he wasn't before. Okay, what else about Harry? There's a lot of good moments here. We got to talk about the Ginny-Harry romance. Oh, Moving yeah. on past Cho to Ginny. Yeah, big upgrade. Okay, so I know... Well, first of all, what did... Do you, are you guys fans of the romance? Yeah, I think we like it. Did it need Did it need more development? Is what I'm trying to say. Did it need more of a backstory? Because that's a complaint that I've heard a lot. I think Ginny was developed as someone that Harry certainly would have noticed. Yes, she took some big steps forward to the point where yeah, it makes sense that Harry would think she's attractive and someone you know that worthy of his attention because she's really cool. Yeah, I definitely had a change of heart on the most recent reread. Ginny is obviously who should be the target for Harry. Like when Harry finally notices Ginny and you know that he kind of has her in the bag or like she might be wanting to reciprocate that love because she's shown it before. And I don't think that's like book two. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that off camera, like Ginny and Harry have spent a ton of time together throughout all of the years and especially the last couple of years when he's been at the borough mm-hmm. quite a bit. So I don't think we really need it explicitly told to us because you know that Harry's awesome. You know that, well, albeit probably a little bit yeah. awkward around the ladies, but yeah, he's yeah. awesome. Like he's a catch. You know that Ginny is like Ginny is, I think this book should be called like Harry Potter and Ginny is a freaking boss because Ginny makes no mistakes throughout this book. So <laughs> yeah, they seem Dan's like a really, they seem like a natural match. <laughs> Yeah, I think we were all cheering after the, the cup was won due to Ginny, yeah. of course. And and then the big kiss came in. I think that was a that was a high for everyone. I, I, I do not agree with anything that was just said. Wow. Yeah, please elaborate. Oh, it's because of the Hermione thing, right? Yeah, because Harry should be with Hermione. Unpopular opinion coming up. Ginny Weasley was cooler than Hermione in this book. Well, she. Oh, yeah. she's I, definitely, I do not think this was a strong Hermione book. I, I, I mean, I she Ginny Weasley's a great character, but just the whole way that the books are lined up and everything, Harry should be with Hermione, and not. Oh Ginny. man! All right, we got to move past this one because I think uh, <laughs> listeners have probably heard this a few times. All right, anything else on Harry? The romance was good, except for Nathan. The. I, I mean, I guess we'll talk about this with Snape, but the, the Half-Blood Prince and the potions classes are really cool. Some of my favorite parts of the books. Harry finally actually gets a... I mean, Snape was a competent teacher, but not a willing teacher. So he finally gets someone that could actually teach him. Although, twist, it was Snape that was actually teaching him stuff. Yeah, but yeah. what... I mean, he, he, gets, he gets the luck of the draw, right? Or he gets the book that was Snape's. What would have happened if Ron yeah. got that book? Then it's Ron Weasley and the Half-Blood Prince. Then maybe Hermione being attracted to Ron could have been more... Belie- uh, actually, never mind. I don't know. I was going down that path. <laughs> we can talk about the later with the Ron and Hermione section. I thought Harry had a great plan in tricking Ron into thinking that he drank the Felix yeah, that Felix's was a- potion. That, that was really nice. That was a high for him. It was a low for Hermione, though, who displayed no trust in her friends. Yeah, the the Mike secret stuff moment from Harry Potter. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's a really good. It's a good reference. (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't hadn't thought about that. That's good. (laughs) And then the Bezor save was huge. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Steven. I feel like that goes under the radar because Ron could have easily died. Yeah, but that, I mean, that, again, is all attributed to the potions book from Snape. Yeah, so in a roundabout way, Snape actually saved Ron's life. Good old Severus. And then a a low decision for Harry in this one was the Sectrum Sempra. Like, really? We're just pulling out this spell that says four enemies? Hey, I I thought this was a great Harry learning moment. Wait, but we just talked about how Malfoy kicked him in the face and left him on the train to die. Dude, Malfoy's in there crying. Malfoy's in there crying. You're going to cast this unknown spell? This easily could have been a death spell. Hey, the thing is, is that all throughout the books... It probably would have been Draco, if Severus wasn't there. Draco was clearly Harry's number one enemy at school. The number one bully. I mean, Harry's had well, enough of it for that's six fine, years. But I don't think using this untested spell is a good decision. Who should he have tested it on? Yeah. Crookshanks? Well, can't you just like point it at the wall and see what happens? It, first, well, it's or... not going to have do I, anything. I mean, maybe, maybe, noth- maybe nothing. I, I don't know. Test it on like a Niffler or something. Ooh, instant regret. Test it on like a bow truckle. <laughs> I mean, something it is a good Harry moment to learn. A Scroot, maybe. He can't use like these dark spells. And he has to Except go back to Expelliarmus. Well, yeah, but Harry's trying to use Unforgivable Curses in Book 5 in his death run against Bellatrix. Yeah, that's true. I do think that Harry shows quite a bit of remorse after he's in shock that he caused that much damage. So I, I think it was a half innocent mistake. Yeah, I didn't maybe, maybe so. It was a little reckless, but I don't know. I'm, I'm all for it. Let's transition to the guy that just got hit with Sectrum Semper. So Malfoy was really interesting in this book because he became much more sympathetic Due to this mysterious task, you saw more of his character. He wasn't just a bully who had everything. Now he had all these things taken away and he had a lot of pressure or people around him were going to die and he was really struggling. So like, did Malfoy become any more sympathetic to you? Like, Did you feel bad for him at all? No, not really. No. Really, I, never. I, I saw pretty much all of his actions based on just acting out of self-preservation. And he was put in an unfavorable situation, obviously. But everything that all the Malfoys do is, from what I can tell, is just being selfish. It's never it's never trying to help others at all. But at least he's not pure evil. Because in the, in the other books, we've thought, oh, he's a bully. He uses these racist terms. And yeah. here, you know, maybe it is self-preservation. Maybe it's selfish. But at the same time, he's not a killer. And he really just does want to like survive him and his family. And you see that more in the seventh book too. Yeah. I felt a little bad for him. I was going to say in the seventh book, he shows really good or he shows humanity. I was just saying in this book specifically, I wasn't as impressed. Okay. I just feel like he's, I mean, like Dan said, he's just doing it so he can survive and that he doesn't let his parents down. I think that's all what it comes down to. But I, I will say the situation he's been put in, like it's a lose-lose situation. So I don't know what I'm expecting him to do, actually. Maybe I should give him a little bit more of a break. And the actual stuff that he's able to put together is pretty impressive because while speaking of Reckless, like him just throwing out these cursed items and letting them be handled by other people, hoping that they can 
magically end up in Dumbledore's hands. Like yeah. his plan seems really flawed with that. And it seems really dangerous. Like Katie Bell could have died. Slughorn could have yeah. died. Ron almost died. So that probably wasn't good. But him being able to put um, patch together the vanishing cabinet is really impressive. Going back to Dumbledore, actually, I should have shared this thought with Dumbledore. I always wondered. So Dumbledore reveals that he knew that Draco had been assigned to kill him this whole time. He knew that Draco was disappearing into different parts of the castle. Mm -hmm. How does he not understand that the vanishing cabinet and him putting like him invite creating a portal for the Death Eaters to enter the castle is really dangerous for all of Hogwarts yeah. students. Yeah. And Dumbledore seems totally. to just have let it happen. I, I just don't think Dumbledore knew that it was there. But shouldn't he have? Like, shouldn't Snape be reporting back to him what's going on? But then then they would have found out that Snape is a double agent for Dumbledore. Yeah, but Dumbledore could have caught Malfoy in the room of requirement or something. Like McGonagall yeah. could have found him there. It, yeah, I'm kind of with Dan. This does seem a little irresponsible. I, I mean, the rumor requirement has a bunch of, I mean, just stuff. Uh, I think he could have. He just overlooked Malfoy a little bit. I think he underestimated him. Yeah, I think, I think he didn't know the extent of Malfoy's actions. He probably knew he was going to the rumor requirement, didn't know exactly what he was doing. Yeah, and I, and I think that was a flaw in Dumbledore, so not a perfect book for him. All right, let's go on to, let's go to Snape. So at the beginning, he makes oh, the unbreakable man. vow. Snape, again, is another character like Dumbledore who is all in in his role. We'll talk more about this in the seventh book because this is super debatable. But he protects, he does really well in this book. For what he's trying to do, he protects Malfoy to an extent. He fulfills what Dumbledore wanted him to do. He doesn't let Harry get killed at the end. He gets the defense against the Dark Arts post. He did an amazing job of fooling everyone. I mean, Snape's a jerk, yeah. but he did it really well. Yeah. I mean, I really like this book. It sets up him for book seven and explaining his story. And I just feel like Snape, throughout the whole series, it sets him up as like this evil professor that hates Harry. And Dumbledore trusts him 100%. And I just feel like Snape fulfills everything that Dumbledore tells him to do. Yeah, he's a really good actor. Yeah, and it goes into this, I mean, this kind of debate, like Stephen said, about why he has these motives that are revealed in Book 7. I just find it a little a little iffy. Yeah, su super controversial. We'll talk about that in our next review. Yeah, I have a lot to say about Snape, but I wanted to ask you guys, there's a sentence in the book that stuck out to me, and I wish I would have written it down, but you guys might remember it. But when he casts Avada Kedavra on Dumbledore, it says that he has like hate in his eyes or something. It says something mm -hmm. about his expression as he's doing it to let you know that it was meaningful. Like obviously it leads you further down that trail to like incorrectly thinking that he's evil. Yeah. But what did you guys think about that? Because... I was wondering, I was maybe reading a little too much into it, but maybe thinking that he, in a way, did resent Dumbledore for putting him in this situation. And he's kind of a tortured soul, right? He's never really had what he truly wanted in life. And he's trying to be on the good side. But really, he's protecting this kid that he hates. And he looks like his dad, who was his number one enemy while he was alive. And now Dumbledore is leaving him. And all of the other good people are going to hate him as a result of this action. Anyway, a really torn moment for Snape. 
for sure. And I was wondering if he actually, in a way, did mean the curse when he when he killed Dumbledore. It's kind of a big question, right? But was he totally was he totally sad while he was doing it, or was there a little bit of it? There has to be some intention behind the Vada Kedavra, from what I understand, for it to take effect. Yeah. So yes, and do we read that much into it? Yeah. Go ahead, Nathan. Well, I I mean, just going back, I think. Uh, Dan, the line you mentioned is something about like hatred in his eyes or something that Harry sees or something like that. I just feel like for, I mean, the plan that set up that it is revealed in Book 7 that Dumbledore planned that for Snape to kill him is, I just feel like Snape had to hate Dumbledore enough for him to kill him. Dumbledore at this point, like his only friend or Snape's only friend kind of to a point is Dumbledore because he's the right. only one that Dumbledore trusts or Snape that can yeah that's true stuff like that and so Snape has been learning and been helping Dumbledore through all these years and then to a point where Dumbledore asks him to kill him yeah to ask him to do something that difficult yeah that difficult I feel like Snape had to hate Dumbledore enough to kill him mm. for it to work I mean, how would you feel if you're like if your only friend asked you to kill him? Yeah, and it's even more complicated than that because it's it's a very layered friendship with all of these you know double agent type of things going on. Although obviously Voldemort looming in the background, I don't think Snape is as dedicated to the cause of taking down Voldemort as Dumbledore is. And while Dumbledore is willing to die for that, it puts Snape in this impossible situation where almost out of self-preservation now, he has to do it. And he's just totally trapped here. And like Dan said, he's a tortured soul. And so you feel terribly for him. And I don't know if it's necessarily like hated Dumbledore. I hated the situation. Or yeah, hated more the himself. situation, I think. And I think himself as well. He, he certainly doesn't like who he is and he doesn't like his life. So on a lighter note with Snape, the idea, so the Half-Blood Prince, all of the all of the extra bonus spells and the stuff that he was able to yeah. uncover. So super cool of Snape, right? Like you learn how accomplished of a wizard he was. I just wondered about the whole inventing spells process, like how he was able uh-huh, to come up with uh-huh. Levy Corpus and Sectum Centra. Is that something you can just try out saying different words and see if something happens? That makes no sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> how does that yeah, work? There might be some JK Rowling bonus stuff. I, I don't know, but I think it is pretty impressive to think that Snape had invented these spells. None of our current characters are like anywhere close to inventing spells from what we've seen. Like back in the Snape, James, Lupin, serious days, yeah, they, they were like made Animagus, Yeah, making the maps, Animagus, spells. And here we are like struggling to apparate like Ron Fales' apparition test. <laughs> I, I think the one thing, Fred and George make some cool charms that they use for their Oh, trick yeah, gadget yeah. stuff yeah but so maybe other we than just that don't see enough of the charms class maybe that's yeah all right let's talk let's go on to ron since i just threw oh. him under the bus wait wait wait. i have one more snape thought so something that i felt was lacking was seeing more of snape in the defense against the dark arts classroom because i felt like we could have seen him really blossom into the professor oh, yeah. that he never was as potions he never felt fully comfortable in that position. It's kind of like, I'm trying to think of a sports example of someone who was in an unideal situation and then blossomed under a role that suited their talents more. 
like maybe Victor Victor Oladipo going to the Pacers or something. But anyway, if we I mean, could can we just say like Michael Jordan playing baseball and then Snape came and played so basketball? So Michael Jordan playing baseball is Snape teaching potions? Yeah. Yeah, but even if he was because of the curse, even if he was professor of the dark arts, he can't be for more than one year. Well, I mean, Snape knew that he wasn't going to be around at Hogwarts after he killed Dumbledore at the end of the year. Yeah. But he was. Well, except for he was. He got master. promoted. <laughs> well, that's okay. Um, yeah. Immediately proved wrong. No, but here's the thing. If Dumbledore, I think that it could have made the end of the book a lot more compelling if we would have gotten a couple of scenes of Harry learning to respect Snape's defense against the dark arts abilities. Like maybe oh, he yeah, could have yeah, taught yeah. the students a couple of cool things and in a secretive way could have helped them prepare for Death Eaters more because nobody knows more about that stuff than Snape. Yeah. And by doing so, Harry would have had no choice but to say, well, actually, I can see these few redeemable qualities about Snape. And then maybe he starts to grow to appreciate him more. And then, and then the all that's ripped away yeah. at the end when he realized Snape actually yeah, does suck yeah. and was evil. Just a thought. Yeah, but that, that could have been even more impactful. Even worse ending. Just Harry's just heartbroken. No, a better ending. More surprise. Well, worse for Harry, but stronger for the reader. Yeah. Stronger in the novel. Yeah. I mean, it is pretty good when you realize that Snape is half a half blood prince, and he says, "Don't use my own spells against me." That's a nice ending. That's a sweet line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't use my own spells against me. Yeah, I was wondering because I remember the whole book that Snape was the half blood prince, obviously. But I never remembered when it was revealed. So I was waiting the whole book. Like Snape had a ton of chances to reveal that to Harry, but he waited until the coolest time. Yeah. I mean, Snape had to know after like him and or Harry and Draco fought. Yeah. But just how and they had revealed, a bunch of detentions together. Reveal. All right. So since I just threw Ron under the bus, let's talk about Ron. So Ron does like decent this book. He does pretty well on his owls, surprisingly, on his OWLs at the beginning of the year. He gets Keeper again, although Harry wasn't sure about it, but then he, he does well enough, so he does continue to be the Keeper. Um, there are also some big low moments for Ron, but, and I'll talk about those in, in a minute, but like overall, how did you guys like Ron in this one? I did not I think... I thought this, Ron was Ron. Yeah, I mean, Ron is, will always be Ron. I mean, I thought it was pretty funny how he ate the love, like the chocolate... Yeah, big oh, yeah, lots from uh, Ramilda Bain. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really funny. Yeah, he loved potions himself, and then he poisons himself shortly afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Really bad day for Ron. I think he also breaks up with Lavender because of it, yep. which maybe was yeah. a good thing in the long run. Yeah, because he says Hermione in his sleep in, his in the sleep. hospital wing. Yeah, uh, I I just thought it was funny, and just the whole romance between him and Lavender. I just feel like that's like so bad. So I didn't think it was that bad because I felt when Ginny chastises him for never having kissed anyone and she's like his younger sister and she basically calls him a loser and he knows that most of the stuff that she's saying is true. Uh huh. Like he's got to, I mean, it's an appeal to his pride. Like he's got to try to do something. He's got to take action. (laughs) As as a man, he must do something. Be a man for once. And I don't think Lavender, at least for Ron, I don't think it's a huge settle. I mean, Lavender, in the movie, she's completely ridiculous. Actually, in the book, she is too with all the Wan Wan stuff. Right. But she's not like the worst. Yeah. And how much can Ron, I mean, (laughs) we don't want to get down this too much because Nathan's going to go crazy. But, you know, Ron's pretty middle of the road. 
I, I don't know yeah. if he really deserves a 10, right? You know, he's probably fine with a six or seven. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that for a first girlfriend experience, I thought that Lavender was just fine for Ron. And he was awkward in ending things. He didn't know how to do it. Yep. And, and so it's done for him. Yeah, he probably was a little bit of a jerk. But yeah, I I thought that Ron's attitude towards the half-blood prince stuff was good, though, in contrast to Hermione. Because I didn't understand Hermione during that whole part, how she was so mad about it. Like, how do you not think mm-hmm. that all the stuff that Harry's doing is cool? If you're so really I have friend? a reason. I have a reason for that. And I think that explains Hermione's character pretty well. We'll get to that when we get to Hermione. I do have a theory with that, too, in regards to like, Hermione never falling for Harry romantically. I think it falls into that same aspect of her character. Okay, let's let's focus on Ron. We'll get to Hermione in a minute. I think Ron gets dissed a few times. There's actually a few really good disses in this book overall. So, first of all, Slughorn yeah. doesn't invite him. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he invites Harry and Hermione and Ginny. <laughs> Nothing. So, that was tough. Ginny totally disses him. I mean, you already talked about this. But she calls him out for his virgin lips. And then he gets all upset because he's like, Wait, did Hermione kiss Crumb and he can't get over himself? <laughs> so yeah, he had some really down moments, but he also was a really good supportive friend for Harry the whole yeah, time. Yeah, that and Slughorn never calls Ron by his actual name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. Yeah, there are some really funny moments in this book. There's a moment um, whenever Harry tries Levy Corpus for the first time in the room, and it's the situation that... I mean, Ron could have been freaking out, but he says something like, you can just use the alarm clock next time because he uh-huh. wakes up and all of a sudden he's strung by his ankles, like hanging upside down. I mean, that's probably pretty standard as a young wizard, right? All, that stuff's happening all the time. I mean, it is a sad moment. Harry's getting all this hype from Slughorn and he's getting all these lessons from Dumbledore and Ron's just shrugging along, right? And so, I, I mean, you kind of feel bad for him. I will say at least he does have the taste of Quidditch success from time to time. Because I feel like up until he nabs Hermione, Quidditch is the only really standout thing that he does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's clearly the black sheep of the trio. So speaking of Slughorn, Nathan, what do you think of Slughorn? This is a new character. and this book, he plays a huge part. He's really selfish, obsessed with cultivating these young promising wizards in his slug club he's like an okay guy for me but i mean when it comes down to it not a favorite character yeah i mean i kind of like him because it gives harry i mean slughorn taught his parents and so he i mean he obviously wants to learn more about his parents and everything like that and i mean it gives a reason for harry to get closer to slughorn that's true I, I kind of like him because he has like he ha- has all these parties and all these like dinners. He invites like the students to go to. I mean, just he actually a, teaches yeah. potions. Yeah, it gives yeah, he, like he's a pretty, social aspect. Yeah, there's a lot going on with Slug. Yeah, is potions? Potions is like the lamest class. I realized. I don't know why it took me until the sixth book to realize this but you're just following directions from a sheet. How do you mess it up? And what is there even to teach no, once you share the recipe? No. I, I think you're wrong here. I How think this, I is coming, this is coming from a perspective of someone who cooks things by just following a recipe and doesn't realize there's a whole art to baking, etc. And so I think potions is very much the same. 
you can follow the recipe and get a very mediocre potion. But in order to really get the potion correct and really sparkle, there's a lot of things you have to kind of like know about the ingredients, et cetera, know intuitively how to combine them. I mean, look, yeah. And, you know, do the stirring backwards or I'm sure there, there's a science to all of it. Well, why doesn't somebody update the recipe book then in the potions books? Why didn't if the Half-Blood Prince was able to come up with it, weren't there some adults, wizards that were in charge of the publication of these books that could update it? And give that half stir yeah. and the clock counterclockwise after the 12th stir. Add those details in. It's yeah. probably also more about knowing how to, you know, develop new potions and what the qualities of the ingredients are. I see that. Yeah. But it's not like they're inventing their own potions, except for they are in one point. I can't remember what one of those challenges is, but but it does work for one of the. Oh, isn't it like an antidote potion that they're trying to make? And Harry wins the challenge. By just grabbing the Bezoar, yeah, I think that is right. Yeah. I think the Slug Club is cool because it's actually not based on bloodlines yeah. like we've seen a lot of the other Wizarding Societies. It's totally merit-based. Well, kind of, kind of, because he also grabs people who just have famous parents, but then he's disappointed in you if you don't live up to the, the promise that your parents have shown. For sure. He reminds me a little bit of Professor Lockhart because... He has this fixation on having connections with celebrity characters in the wizarding world and raising his status through that. I mean, in different ways, but they are a little bit similar. Like I think in, he's described in the book as dressing a little bit flamboyantly also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, the professor he's most like from any of the current or preceding, I think for me, was Lockhart. Competent Lockhart, we'll say. Yeah. Equally selfish. But he, I think he sheds a new light on what yeah. it means to be a Slytherin. He adds a more dynamic aspect to the Slytherin yeah. house, which before now was solely evil. Uh-huh. But now you see the cunning side of it, which I think is perfectly captured when he manipulates Hagrid during the Aragog scene and gets yeah, when him to he give up his magical items by like feigning sympathy. I thought that was a really cool part for Slughorn. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That whole sequence with the Felix potion and Harry saying, oh, wait, I feel like I need to go to Hagrid's and it doesn't make yeah. any sense. That was a really fun moment. Yeah, Hagrid's the, is the, the place book. to be. Uh -huh. It's what? <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Are we going to talk about the Felix potion, by the way? How ridiculous it is? Or uh, Let's talk about it. You think it's ridiculous? <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. How is it not ridiculous? If it protects you in battle, like Ginny and... Um, Neville and Ron and Co. They were all, they were all talking uh -huh. about how Felix Felice saved them in the battle. So you just think it's OP? I think it's way OP, and it says that it takes like six months to brew, but that doesn't mean like so. Start brewing it six months earlier. Like start brewing it every day so you can have one. So if you're going into business in the Wizarding World, you just open up a Felix shop, and then you're set because everyone needs that constantly. Well, I save it for myself, and then I sell other goods i open up a different okay, kind of business because okay, okay. i'm not sharing that with anyone else yeah but i mean you can talk your way out of it like it can only work for inconsequential thing and it does say if you take too large of doses then it can be like a poison so you definitely want to avoid that but from time to time i don't i'm not seeing a downside to to swallowing a bit with breakfast yeah so the felix is kind of like the time turner in book three where it's really important for that book and it doesn't really make yeah. sense. 
the time turn is like, oh, why didn't they use a time turner to bring Sirius back to life? Or, you know, something like that. You know, time travel is always an issue. But here it's like, oh, you got this magical potion that will solve all your problems. Why don't you just always use it? And they don't. And, you know, there's not really like a super great reason for why. Like it's kind of explained a little bit, but you could find holes in it. But at the same time, that's just kind of like how it works sometimes in the magical community. Well, in the in the book, it explains that you, if you drink it enough, then you'll just go crazy. Okay. Yeah. So you got to do it in moderation. Like All right, Felix. Fun for this one. Yeah. Maybe there's some issues with it, but we'll we'll move on. So let's talk about Hermione. Okay. Bad book for Hermione. Yeah. Didn't doesn't do very well. She yeah, starts off on worst a high. performance so far for Hermione. Yeah. She starts off on a high, getting almost perfect OWLs except for Defense Against the Dark Arts, where she only, only exceeds expectations. Not I thought that was kind of a low, because it's really annoying that she was complaining about that. Yeah. Like down in the dumps I, about it. I guess in that yeah, way. Yeah, she, I mean, she complains the whole book. It's a rough book. She bickers with Ron for the latter half because she's jealous of Lavender, which is really kind of pathetic. Like, Lavender, really, Hermione? Like, you know, get it together a little bit. But, you know, she's in a bad situation there. And then she she's like complaining about Harry in the in the book and the Half Blood Prince and yeah everything she that. resorts and to McLagan to get back at Ron yeah I thought that was way lower than Ron kissing Lavender yeah McLagan was totally used <laughs> yeah McLagan was was a known I'm trying to think of a more appropriate word you know just kind of a jerk just kind of totally full of himself uh-huh. like nobody likes McLagan. And doing it just just because of the Quidditch comparison, because she knows Ron doesn't like him. Yeah, that that was rough. The thing with the Half Blood Prince book. So here's the thing with Hermione. Hermione's like always had this role in the friend group where she's the one who solves the problem. She's the brains behind the operation. And so if Harry's got this book that will solve all of these problems and teach him this stuff that Hermione can't do, then that's like threatening her role. In the group, it's not a romantic thing. It's more of just like a defining who she is as a character and as a person. And so then she can't, you know, be that for her friends anymore. So I think that's why she doesn't like the Hot Blood Prince book. And I think I want to expand on that. Um, I referred to this before, but I think one of the reasons why Hermione isn't as drawn to Harry is because she knows that she needs to be with someone that she can control. That might be a little bit too strong of a way to say it, but something that's a little bit more submissive, a little bit more needy of her intellectual capabilities. Like Steven said, like she wants to be the brains behind the operation. She doesn't necessarily want to share that role. And she likes Ron and she they get along with, they're very compatible in that way because Ron's willing to do, for the most part, what Hermione suggests. And he's not going to necessarily have his own ideas and be as headstrong. Yeah, I think in that way they are a pretty good match. The thing is, is that Ron and Hermione bicker so much; they're so unlike. Yeah, because they have because they're unable to, you know, get their feelings sorted out, and they're sixteen years old, and sometimes it's a little tough to do this, and especially with all the pressure that they're under. So the bickering makes sense. It's frustrating to read, and we don't like it, obviously. But I think it reveals the depth of their of their attraction, at least their teenage attraction to each other. Yeah, they should have just communicated because I think Hermione, if she was able to, I mean, judging from how she's able to read other people's emotions throughout the book, like how she helps Harry with Cho and such, 
she should have caught on that Ron was pretty hung up on her, right? Like she should have been able to gather that Ron had some feelings for her. Whereas Ron, yeah. on the other hand, I don't think Ron had any way of knowing that Hermione would have liked him back. So I think it's hard to ask Ron to really go out on a ledge and take that risk to damaging their friendship and right. to like be able to recognize those feelings within himself and then be able to express them to Hermione. So I think it's extremely unreasonable that Hermione took such offense to Ron going out and finding a girlfriend because it wasn't her. Yeah, but so it makes sense that Hermione has been able to see this in other people. However, when you're trying to do this for yourself, sometimes it's not nearly as obvious and all kinds of doubts and self. Yeah, she probably has some inadequacies come up to mind. And there's a lot that plagues you when you try to handle things for yourself and help other people. Insecurities going back to the buck teeth days, for sure. I mean, she's Uh 16 years old. I mean, these are teenagers. Absolutely. One big low moment for Hermione. The birds thing? The birds. Yeah, the birds thing. Is that where you're getting at? Oh, the birds. Yeah. No, I was going towards the Borgen and Burks thing where she tries to get info. At the beginning, she tries to go into Borgen and Burks and like, oh, yeah, yeah. Suss out what Draco is going for. And uh-huh. either Borgen or Burks, whichever one is there, oh. throws her out because he's like, okay, you're super suspicious and obviously not a real customer. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about when she cast the birds, the killing birds on Ron. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if that was a low moment. That was kind of a, a cool moment, at least. Cool magic but- moment. You were just getting so upset with Harry for casting Sectum Semtra on Draco, well, a word that I can't say, he, but at least he's an enemy. Well, come on. He didn't even know what Sectum Semtra was. He read it in a book. Do you know how hard it would hurt if a bird is going full speed and its beak is pointed at your face? Oh, come on. It wasn't going to kill him. <laughs> I could do some serious damage. <laughs> it's fine. Just send him to the hospital wing. All right. Let's go on to Ginny. So we loved Ginny. And this one, she starts off a little low with her obvious jealousy towards Fleur, but she redeems herself really fast with the Zachariah Smith hex, the invitation to the slug oh, yeah. club. And from there, she's killing it on the Quidditch pitch. She's dissing her brother in funny ways. She wins the, the cup. She's just cool the whole way through. She's very confident coming into herself. So cool. Yeah. And at the end, you know, she gets together with Harry. It's great. Yeah, and you hear that all the boys in school basically like her. She has plenty of suitors. Uh huh. Well, just the character development from Jeannie, um, from book two to this book. I mean, in book two, she could barely talk to Harry. And it kind of talks about it a little bit in the book. And now she is really good friends with Harry. And, and then at the end of the book, they're dating and then they break up or whatever. It just shows that character development and how Ginny has progressed as just an individual and how, I mean, I I agree. She's, a, I mean, she's yeah. super good in this book. Yeah, really, really easy to be a fan of Ginny. And to clarify, they didn't break up. They're just taking a break for Friends yeah. fans out there. So remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Ginny was doing it on purpose, but the strategy of, pulling away like you're obviously obsessed with someone like she is early on which can be kind of off-putting to harry and right but she totally withdraws i don't know how intentional her withdrawn like moving on to other boys like she had the michael corner phase moving on to bigger and better things with dean thomas and obviously that is 
drawing Harry's attention toward her. Oh yeah. If these if these other guys like her, then she must have you know she must be a commodity. So are you saying, Dan, that Ginny did it on purpose to make Harry jealous? No. She says no, no, no. She says outright that she had always hoped, um, like she had always held the possibility, like in the back of her mind, that maybe Harry would like her. She had moved on, but the possibility was always open. Yeah. All right. Let's move past Ginny and two more characters. Then we're going to do our top three. So real quickly, Hagrid. Not a oh, big man. role. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, He's Hagrid's a always kind of funny. This book. <laughs> we like to make fun of Hagrid. He also gets dissed terribly at the beginning of the book from none of the big three taking his class, and then, and then he's easily pacified by Hermione saying that she will go with him to visit Aragog. Doesn't actually do it. They have the funeral, and there's not that much else that goes on with him. But it's. It's a low for Hagrid, That's the yeah. only two things that he does in the whole book is he gets mad that no one takes his class and then he has a funeral for a spider that almost killed his friends. Like, I'm so over this guy. He is such a liability. Yeah. The one other thing, he's involved in some good emotional moments at the end when Dumbledore dies and Harry's with him there. And I think that really like hammers home the impact of Dumbledore's death, seeing Hagrid's reaction to it as they're walking towards and Hagrid's disbelief that it could be Dumbledore and Hagrid crying out. And then at the funeral, as Hagrid, you know, carries his body towards where it's going to be entombed. So those are really good moments. But I don't know if that's Hagrid as much as like Hagrid just being the vehicle for Dumbledore's coolness. I just think Hagrid's way too soft. Like it's clearly the like the only thing that really impacts him is stuff that he personally deals with. He could care less what's going on in the broader wizarding world. It just matters what's going on in his hut. Yeah, he's and I have a hard time respecting that. Like he's sad about Dumbledore because Dumbledore gave him a place to have a career. I mean, he does love Harry. He goes out of his way to help Harry as much as he can, even if it's not always that helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's true because he loved and cared for Harry before Harry could even reciprocate any of that. Yeah. Okay. So past Hagrid, let's talk about Voldemort. So Voldemort, not actually. In the story, per se, it's more of his memory and what we're learning about his character through all of these memories that Dumbledore and Harry are exploring. So for me, this is cool because of the parallel between Voldemort and Harry. Both of them are half-blood. Both of them are orphaned. Voldemort goes the complete opposite way than Harry. And in the end, it's all about love, right? Harry is willing to forgive, willing to love people around him. Voldemort is all about wanting to cast off this negative part of himself to a point where he's murdering and is totally hateful and just kind of a loser. Yeah, well, there's so much backstory in this book and a lot of the exposition is necessary for book seven. But how creepy is Voldemort the orphan as described by the orphanage keeper? Those are some pretty chilling scenes. Well, all of the, the gaunt stuff, all of the pensive stuff in this is really dark, but some of my favorite parts of the book, um, like normally I don't really like the plot points that aren't current, but in this I, I thought contributed a lot to our understanding. But like the orphanage keeper, she says she's even she's clearly scared of Tom Riddle and she says all the other kids are scared and she wants to make sure before she says anything about him that Dumbledore is for sure going to whisk him away to the school. And then uh-huh. she just unloads the stuff like, Oh, he took um he took these kids to this cave and they were never the same. 
and you hear about the he yeah. hung he hung the kid's pet rabbit from a noose and he's so power hungry tom and, riddle the kid is the creepy kid from some so horror movie yeah he he missed his calling there as a horror movie cast member yeah so i liked i liked those parts and actually him sending draco off to kill dumbledore was so cruel cuz we i said that's a lose lose situation before like he for sure didn't think that Draco was going to be successful in that. Totally expendable. Maybe Draco drums up some useful bit of information, but if he doesn't and he dies, you know, who cares? That's how Voldemort's viewing it. I think yeah. one thing when you see his application to be the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, that also cements his similarity to Harry because Hogwarts is his home and he has this strong attachment to it to the point that like 10 years after he graduated, after he'd cast off the name of Tom Riddle and became Lord Voldemort, he's even like, he's still got this connection. He's like, well, maybe I could just go back to Hogwarts and be a teacher and I'd have to be under Dumbledore, but you know, it still might be a, not a bad way to go. And like, that's kind of his last thing before he decides to be completely yeah. evil Dark Lord. What's the point where he finds out about the history of his, his mom and dad? I can't remember at what point in the book that that's revealed to him and that he starts he starts hating muggles. Um, I can't remember what point. I mean, he goes back to the Gaunt house where one of them, don't remember which one is still there. And then he goes off and he kills all of his muggle progenitors. Yeah. Well, not, not that he didn't hate muggles before that. Cause he was obviously proud of his wizard blood from the very beginning and thought that he was so strong because he had, he, he must've descended from a, a great wizard line. One thing, really cool cave defense. I mean, if you're going to defend a piece of magical, you know, magical artifact that's got to be a bit of your soul, why not have a lake and zombies and yeah, very difficult to extraction that kills you. Yeah, the killing potion. Although, question on that, like, why not make the potion actually kill you? Why make it possible at all? Yeah, you know, kind of just kind of another plot thing. Well, because he has to have a way to retrieve it. Oh, but he could just sacrifice. He could bring along a servant and sacrifice them. Right. But very cool magic involved here. Yeah. So are we done with all the characters now? Yeah, I think we're done with characters. So let's quickly wrap up with our top and bottom three. No, no, nothing else. (laughs) I got to say so. Rufus Scrimgeour could have been so much cooler. Why was he basically just the same as as fudge just like the slightly more competent version of fudge but he no, was Dan. still just no, a corrupt can, politician no he could have been no, cooler no. he can be on your bottom three if you feel he, that way he could have been a half allied to harry somehow he could have been more Dan, important Dan, to the plot talk about him in the seventh book he was totally a meh character he he provided nothing yeah he was a loser especially in the seventh. all right <laughs> dan's gonna start us off with his bottom three no, I'm not going to start off because I didn't know that we were talking about the top and bottom three because I thought we were just discussing as we went along. So I need a little bit more time to think about it. All right. Top three characters. Again, these are not the top three in our favorites. They're the top three in their performances in the book. So Nathan, tell us your top three. Just briefly, like like rattle them off. And if it's controversial, you can defend it. Otherwise, just say who they are. Okay. Top three. Number three is going to be Dumbledore. Number two is Harry, and number one is going to be Draco. Ooh, Draco. Okay. Draco because of his plan that came together, right? And he got the Death Eaters in and everything? Yeah. 
even though he was like mm-hmm. throwing around powerful de- deathly artifacts and poisons. Yeah, even though. All right, Dan, what are your top three? Okay, Ginny's for sure in my top three. I got to think about the other ones. I might put another Weasley in here, actually. I might, I'm going to put in Ron because Ron gets to be with Hermione via Lavender, right? A nice okay. stepping stone to his deepest desire. And then uh-huh. my other for the top three is probably just going to be Harry. Yeah, probably just going to be Harry. Just a Harry. Okay, Harry's appeared in both of yours. I'm going to say top three. Uh, Snape is in there. Snape is in there for sure. It's Snape, Dumbledore, and Harry, I think. I mean, Ginny as well was great, but I don't think we can be too creative in this one and still be believable. Those were the top three characters. Okay. All right, bottom three. Nathan, too stunk in this book. Bottom three. So number number three... Um, is going to be uh, Hermione. Yeah, rough for her. Two is um, a character that we didn't really talk about was McGonagall. Mm. And yeah. number one is probably going to be... Number one is going to be Voldemort. Ooh, okay. Ooh. Interesting. Why uh, Why Voldemort to McGonagall? Um, so Voldemort, I just feel like... So he knew that Draco was going to bring and have the Death Eaters come, right? So why didn't Voldemort come with the Death Eaters and then Voldemort just take over the school and try to kill Harry then? Yeah, they finally had an inn into the castle. Because he knew that Dumbledore was dead, right, when the Death Eaters went there. And so... So after Dumbledore was killed, then Voldemort should have came in too? Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. The McGonagall one, McGonagall has kind of a bad moment with Harry at the end. Or I don't know if, who it's bad for, Harry or McGonagall, but she's trying to get information and Harry totally just brushes her off. Ignores her. Mm-hmm. Like she's Scringer yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's lame, especially after Dumbledore finally takes Harry into his confidence. Okay, Dan, yours? Okay, I have some unique picks for this. I'm going to go Fred and George in the bottom three. Because turns out they sold Draco Peruvian instant dark powder, which was key to his mm. whole plot. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and eventually led to Dumbledore's death. So they should have been more selective in their customer base. Okay. I guess so. But actually, that's a slippery slope because that's like saying gun owners are responsible for all the people that buy their guns if they murder someone. I don't know. Yeah. And, and we're not going to get political. So we're not. <clears throat> Best to move on. So then I thought that Lupin, all right, follow me on this one, guys. How does Lupin not make it his life goal to get back at Fenrir Greyback? I was wondering this on my recent reread. Fenrir Greyback bites not only Lupin, but uh-huh. we assume a lot of other kids, a lot of other innocent kids and ruins their whole lives. So it should have been Lupin, a side story of Lupin getting at him? Yeah, Lupin had a lot of weapons at his disposal. He had Sirius as an accomplice that no one else knew was alive. He and had, Sirius was itching to do something. Sirius would yeah. have been so down to do something like this. And it's not just revenge. It's also to help out the entire wizarding world because he was still he was still at large. So, Especially after we dissed the Order of the Phoenix for doing nothing in the fifth book. This would have been a nice little thing for them to do. Yeah, I'm glad that you're with me on this one, Stephen. Uh-huh. Um, other bottom three, Hagrid. <laughs> Who are your, who's your bottom three? Hagrid, nothing more needs to be said. Lupin also messes up with Tonks when he 
refuses to pursue a relationship and Tonks is like, look, Fleur oh. still loves Bill, even though you Wait, know, Bill that is scene be a is werewolf. so weird how they're having this like talk show romance moment in the hospital wing in front of everyone. Like, yeah. I still love you for you. I don't care what you look like. That's so weird. A little bit. All right, mine. Okay, I'm going to have McLaggen in mine. Oh, yeah, McLaggen's the worst. Because he's, <laughs> he's a square and a loser. And I'm also going to throw Slughorn in there. I think purely because he gives Tom Riddle the Horcrux information. That was That was terrible. And then, and then holds on to it, even though that he knows that the memory is necessary yeah. for for righting his wrong. He totally understands. He finally gives it up, but only because he's dead drunk. And then finally, I'm going Crab and Goyle, who agree to submit to transforming into first year girls to go along with Draco's plan. <laughs> How embarrassing! And do you have zero self respect? <laughs> that is terrible. <laughs> That's true. All right. Thanks for listening to our Half Blood Prince review. We only have one more of these to do. And then maybe we'll have to do some Harry Potter tier list or some kind of fun videos. So we still have Harry Potter content coming out. Let us know in the comments what you'd like us to do. If you'd like to chat with us more, hop on Discord and choose the Harry Potter role. And you can go and tell us all of your Harry Potter theories. You know, there's a lot of Potterheads out there. If you like Phantology, check us out at www.phantologybooks. You can see our full lineup of all our different episodes and finally if you'd like to support the show you can find that at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books so thanks guys any more dan any more wizard dad jokes to send us out or we good i'm gonna save those for the next one all right just give us a non-verbal spell then on our way out oh you got it all right see you nathan bye